On the next Creativity in Motion podcast, we talk with sound designer Russell Maringer. Creatives kind of wear a cloak of invisibility um, all the time, where it's like they they just, they put so much time and, and effort into their craft and in making cool stuff. You know, you could compose the greatest song in the world, but if only your mom hears it, how are you going to turn that into something? And action. Action. No, that's not going to work. Mm. Okay, take two. Hi, my name is Mark Mosry. And I'm Chris Hollow, and this is episode number 15 of Creativity in Motion, a podcast about creativity where we talk with creatives of all kinds to find out why they create and especially how they overcome creative obstacles. In this episode, we'll be talking with audio engineer and game designer Russell Maringer. And before we get into that, let's tell you a little bit about Nosy College of Art. Nosy College opened in 1973 as a fine art school and is transformed into Tennessee's only private art college. They offer bachelor's degree programs in commercial illustration, graphic design, video and film, photography, and a brand new culinary arts associate's degree. They have a beautiful 55,000 square foot facility that was built with the artistic student in mind that includes computer labs, production suites, photography and video studios, and a fully stocked equipment cage. Everything students need to get creative. To learn more about NOSI College of Art, you can visit nosi.edu for degree program details, faculty information, and student work. Today, we're talking with sound engineer, game designer, and co-owner of InPal Audio, an award-winning audio post-production and sound design studio based in Nashville, Tennessee, Russell Maringer. Russell, it's really great to have you here. It's great to be here. Chris and I were talking earlier about when we met you in the first project that we worked on with you, uh, which was a web series that we did back in 2012 and 2013. Man, that's a long time ago. <laughs> and maybe 2014, the first part of 2014. Too. Oh, man. We've always admired, of course, your work. The work that you do is great and you love what you do, but the way you do it also with your, like you're all in, uh, um, in what you do. Tell, tell us a little bit about um, how you got to where you are. <laughs> sure. So, uh, so yeah, we met on set on that web series. Um, shout out to Heather Sturm, <laughs> uh, who was my teacher at the time who, who brought me out there, um, to help out and obviously had a great time. I guess I could start from the beginning. Um, went to Purdue university, studied physics, uh, shouted a physicist and was like, I don't know if I'd like to do this as a job. Like I love learning about stars and, and quantum and everything. Um, but actually doing it as a occupation wasn't so great. Uh, I looked into my two passions of music and computers, found, um, audio engineering, moved to Nashville, went to the art Institute down here, studied audio production, had a instructor who, um, said, I want you to take the sound of a cow and turn it into something completely different. I was like, okay, this is cool. <laughs> I turned it into some like spaceship and maybe some other, a couple other sounds. And I'm sure if I listened to them now, I'd be like, wow, that's the most rudimentary sound design anyone could ever do. But um, I thought to myself, people get paid to do this. That's crazy. And uh, sort of tailored the rest of my education in that direction and, and just really fell in love with it. Um, you know, I ended up uh, finding an internship at a sound design company in town called NPAL Audio. And 
they eventually started calling me the intern that would never go away um, <laughs> because after my internship ended, I kept showing up and, you know, I got along really well with uh, uh, my mentor, I guess. Um, I mean, Nick, Nick Palladino, the previous owner, um, was a mentor, but also um, the person who I was there with most um, was actually my business partner now, JT Decker. And um, we got along really well and uh, just always liked making cool stuff. Um, and eventually they, uh, they started paying me. So I was like, why would I leave? (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then eventually got officially hired on instead of just contract. And I was told that whenever I was hired on that, he's like, Nick said, I'm not hiring an employee. I'm hiring my replacement. So the day I was hired on, I knew that it's like kind of, we're moving in that direction that I'm going to be owner, part owner of this company. So, uh, you know, that really put fire to my ass, I guess, <laughs> to really make sure I'm, I'm doing this right. And, uh, and cause I would hate to, um, disappoint him, disappoint anyone, um, including myself. And, uh, it just helped me know that maybe I really do know what I'm doing. I know creatives tend to get a lot of imposter syndrome. And I think that was sort of the beginning of like, oh, I kind of know what I'm doing. Um, and just kept doing it, just kept working and working and making cool stuff and meeting new people and hopefully making stuff sound good. Well, I don't think there's any question that you make things sound good. You've made uh, stuff that we've done sound incredible. And we were just uh, almost embarrassingly, <laughs> con- you know, admitting before we started recording this podcast, all the many times we've sent you audio files that we've just been embarrassed to send you because they're so bad. And truthfully, we probably wouldn't send them to anybody else because we know the power of what you can do. Like we've witnessed you take something that just sounds like it, there's, it's impossible to rescue it and make it sound good. And, and you send us something back and we're like, gone, that is amazing. <laughs> you know, Russell strikes again. I mean, we tried to do good audio, right? We try every time to do good audio and inevitably an air conditioner turns on or a siren goes by or it starts raining on a tin roof or some shit that you just can't control. And it is what it is. And you, you do the best you can. And then when you're cutting it together, you think, well, this is terrible. How can I fix this? Ah, we'll call Russell the audio <laughs> doctor. And I hate to kind of put that on you, but it's like, you're a resource that, that we need um, more times than we'd like to admit just because we know that we're doing the best we can. And sometimes it's, it's good as it's going to get. And yet it's not usable. Sometimes, I mean, a lot of people are familiar with that phrase. We'll fix it in post. Some, sometimes it is actual fixing. It's actual repair work that has to be done. And sometimes it's just being super creative and turning that audio into something that almost into something else. But you know, I'm not ashamed to say that when we when we send it to you, it's literally because we need to fix it in post because we have ruined it in pre. <laughs> right? We just we just, we're not audio engineers. We just kind of we we our repertoire is so incredibly limited. This is where you say something like, "Oh, it's okay, guys." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've I've re- I received stuff from probably everyone that's in all sorts of states of cleanliness. Mm. <laughs> Not sure that's the right fidelity. Yeah. Fidelity. Sure. Um, and you know, that's just part of my gig, I guess, is just making things that unfortunately are recorded poorly due to whatever circumstance, um, you know, whatever equipment was available. Maybe they were, I think I remember receiving a piece from you guys where it was people walking in the woods 
mm-hmm. there was just like you could hear the footsteps all over the dialogue, you know, um, and that's that sort of noise just gets gets all over the dialogue. It's it's hard to take out. Uh, sometimes I really like just sitting there and and playing with whatever tools I have at my disposal and see how, if I can get it sound as clean as possible. Give our listeners an idea of the variety of things that you get called on to do as part of your job. Oh boy, sure. Um, so I get everything from hey, we have this short little snippet that's five seconds long and I need it to sound clean. Can you clean it up to an entire film or a video game where we need to make all of the audio? You know, not composing. I don't I don't jump into music, but they'll give me, a, say, a feature-length film and they just go, make it sound good. Cool. You know, we have some ideas, but um, a lot of the times they just, if I've worked with them before, a lot of times they just go, let's see what you do. You know, let's just see what you can turn it into. So, you know, my bread and butter are definitely um, commercials and radio spots. I work on several of those every week. And a lot of that is usually just, here's a voiceover we recorded. And also, uh, here's a, can you find a piece of music, some needle drop music? We'll do that. Um, But then we also do voiceover recording. Uh, We'll actually go into, you know, our studio and we'll record for, whatever advertisement or ADR for a film there's, I mean, I'm trying to think there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that we do. What is a, what is ADR for people that don't know what that is? So my preferred answer to that is automated dialogue recording or automated dialogue replacement. Uh, sometimes they it's called automatic dialogue recording. I don't know. It, it gets pushed around every now and then I'll be yeah, automated dialogue replacement. And that is, Whenever um, something recorded on set during a production uh, was either recorded poorly or they want to replace a performance, say they sounded like they were, I worked on something recently where they thought the character sounded too sad and they wanted to make him sound just a little less sad. So hmm. they were, did an ADR just for him to say it again, slightly less sad. And how does that, the, the actual actor would come in the studio and, and re-record the lines? Yeah, they would re-record the lines and watch themselves on screen and actually match the flaps of their mouth as they say it. Um, if that's in all purposes, if it's uh, if it was recorded poorly or if they want to replace stuff, it's also um, called looping. That's another term for it. And a lot of that is used more for um, if you're wanting to add someone speaking off screen, you would use the same equipment to do that because you don't want to record them with say a podcast microphone. And when you want them to sound like they're, you know off camera in in the world, you would still use the same microphones that you would on set. So basically what you're saying is ADR is not automated or automatic in, in right. any way. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, I don't understand why that came to be that way. Looping makes sense, but because you kind of tend to loop and do it over and over again right. until you're happy. ADR, the, 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 you break out the, 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 the word ADR into automatic. It makes no sense to me. Well, I've, <laughs> I've also heard a, instead of automatic dialogue replacement, I've heard, um, additional dialogue replacement. Oh, I haven't heard that one. I've never heard that before. And I don't think the A is nearly as important as the D and the R. Right. right. <laughs> so, well, that's that's um, interesting. It sounds like you get a, a lot of work that is very technique-based. Like you know how to use the software to achieve a result that is desired by the client. So you act as a technician in that role. Sure. Yeah. And then you have other jobs where you get to be completely creative and kind of bring your own audio vision to the pro the project. 
and create the sounds and give it the the look not not so much the look but the feel of of what you think it could be yeah i always like to say that i think i really fell into this um occupation because i i mean i am a technical person like i said i studied physics um and i was really into science and all that still am um but it's also creative it's like this nice harmony between the two it's like some days i'm doing things completely technical where i'm just cleaning dialogue and other days like you said i'm doing something totally creative but even the creative things are technical um the type of software that i'm using you know there's a lot of math and a lot of things that go behind it and then sometimes um if i need to i'll start sort of designing my own effects (laughs) um to make them go even more crazy i just kind of let you push the envelope as far as how the sound goes are you ambidextrous because you're able to re- use left and right side of your brain pretty efficiently. So it would make sense that you would be. I write, eat, and draw left-handed, but then everything else, like I play guitar, like if I'm up to bat or whatever, it's everything else is right-handed. I bowl right-handed. Interesting. That yeah. is interesting, yeah. I've got a friend that I used to play hockey with that was, he's right-handed, but he plays hockey left-handed. And with, with a wicked slap shot, a w- <laughs> wicked left-handed slap shot, everything else is right-handed. I can play ping pong with either hand. Sometimes just as an exercise, I'll switch even within a point. I'll move the paddle over and hit one shot with left hand and move it in my right hand and hit it again with the right hand. But that's like the only thing I can do. You're like just that. taunting your opponent. I, I'm actually, sometimes I do it just to see if they notice. It's like Princess Bride. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not left-handed. Well, I think that balance of the technical and the creative is so much a part of what most people are even most people who are working in creative fields are dealing with technology is so ubiquitous right now. And we are in many cases dependent on the technology. You have to have a solid foundation in, in the technical aspects of it so that you can sort of unleash your creativity. Cause if you, like you just mentioned, you could write and draw left-handed, but if you don't know, what you're drawing, then you don't know what you're doing. So having just a solid foundation in the software and an understanding of how microphones and audio works, that in and of itself is not creative, but the application of that is incredibly creative. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have a preference or or are there times where you feel like, well, I could really, I would really love to work on something creative right now, or, or I would really like to just, deal with something that's purely technical what would be an example for instance of where you would prefer one over the other or you equally geeked by both (laughs) i would say i i could be equally geeked by both for sure but sometimes i kind of get stuck on where i'm I'm working on the same type of project over and over and over again and it's like man it'd be really nice to dive into something different Um, you know for example at the beginning of this pandemic, obviously I said, I work on commercials. How many times have we heard in these trying times or in these unprecedented times, you know, I'm constantly working on these same things with the same emotion. Like, boy, it would be nice to, to jump into something cooler. We're all doing um, it together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then uh, uh, recently I worked on some stuff with UT, the school, um, for their football team, the volunteers. And it was just this badass like tackles and huge whiz bangs and like oh my gosh it was so fun so much fun and I even told him um my client I told him man thank you (laughs) I'm so glad (laughs) that we can dive back into this kind of stuff because it's so fun jumping into a different emotion yeah a different a different project I mean I'll go through phases in my 
still photography business where all I'm getting asked to do are headshots. It's like, can you come do a headshot? Can you come do headshots? Can you come do 20 headshots? And it's like, I love those clients. I love working for those clients. And I really, really always enjoy when people see the, a photo of themselves and they go, wow, that actually looks really good. Like that gives me great satisfaction. But after the sixth or seventh headshot job in a row, I start craving something different. And if there's not a client there to provide me with that different kind of job, then I'll cook up something on my own for myself just to go out and shoot just as a complete departure from what I've been working on. So I, I get that. I totally get that. I mean, we have regular clients, Chris, and I'm looking at Chris when I say this. I, we have regular clients, and, so, and they call us for the same things over and over and over again. And we are deeply appreciative of those clients and really enjoy working for them. It's nice to have something new, though, come along. If you're if you're in the office working, like let's say you, you know, you get you walk in the door, unlock the door, you walk in, you sit down, and let's say you've got a a UT football gig in front of you, or you have a pandemic commercial in front of you. You, know, you have two options where you start that day. Does it depend on kind of how you woke up or your mood, which one you, you take first? Does the way you wake up in the morning kind of help dictate which one of those you're going to tackle? Deadline aside. Oh, deadline aside. Okay. I was going to say deadline very much determines right. <laughs> which one I work but if on If it's first. totally your choice, you yeah. walk in the door, it's like, I'm going to work on football tackles or I'm going to work on, we're all in this together. I would probably work on the, the we're all in this together thing first. Mm-hmm. Um, not to, not to say to get it out of the way, but really that, um, it is a little more technical, uh, as opposed to, um, creative. And so I can kind of get warmed up on getting the mix sounding right. And th- that way I know that my ears are good too. Mm-hmm. Um, because whenever I'm working on big, crazy football tackles, you know, my ears get tired very quick. Um, and then you, I can't trust them <laughs> after I was, was going to ask you about that. I'm going to come back to that. Yeah. I mean, after so many hours, I'm just like, I can't, I don't even know what sounds good anymore. And so to make best for both of my clients, I think it serves everyone better for me to do, um, the more understated piece first, get it sounding as good as it can. And then I'll jump into the big, crazy sound design moments. So let's talk about ear fatigue because Mark and I will both suffer from eye fatigue. Mm-hmm. There are times when we shoot days in a row where, at the end of the day, you have trouble, literally have trouble focusing on stuff. Like your eyes are just straight up tired. We're using flash equipment a lot of times too. Uh-huh. And so it's constant, you know, bright flashes of light on set. While Before you're even actually taking the pictures, you're in there uh, taking test photos and maybe using a light meter. And every time you do that, uh, a flash goes off and you might have, you might actually have three or four lights set up. So you're getting bombarded with these flashes all the time and if it's a long day it really it just really adds up and if it's like an event coverage thing um my right eye will fatigue faster because i'm using it i mean i'm right eyed when i shoot so i can definitely tell my right eye is getting fatigued first and then i'm not that good shooting left eye i can do it but i'm not as good which is so weird it is weird it's like it's the same brain right that's seeing the same thing. Part of the problem, of course, is that cameras aren't necessarily built. They're not symmetrical, right? So if you're used to holding a camera up to your right eye, it's going to actually feel different. Your different parts of your face are going to rest against the back of the camera 
in a different way when you try to use your left eye. And that can be bothersome, you know, if you're not used to it. The, the, you know, your right eye, I'm right-eyed also, it feels comfortable. To switch it up, it just feels foreign, you know, and it takes some brain power away to deal with that. And you can't focus, literally focus on what you're doing. So how do you handle ear fatigue? Like, what do you do? Can you take, can you take some time off? Like, I don't mean like 15 minutes or can you, how do you resolve that? Usually the way ear fatigue manifests usually is that you start to lose your ability to hear high frequencies Mm -hmm. clearly first. And then after that, I kind of lose my understanding of dynamics And so what I mean by that is like, I can't tell if this person sounds louder than this other person anymore. Like I, like maybe they do like earlier, I thought it sounded fine and now it sounds weird. I don't, I kind of just start not trusting myself or the dialogue Um, over the background. Yeah. Yeah. Anything like that. And then I start pushing everything louder and louder. And then later I go, wow, like why did I ever have, like, I can't even hear the ambience whenever I come back to it the next day. Mm. Um, So usually to try and circumvent that, I mean, one is to not work for too long at one time. So, you know, I tried to take a a 15 minute break every hour or two hours. Um, you know, it's, it's good to try and stand every now and then. (laughs) So, uh, it's a good excuse to do that. And then I'm fortunate on where I can send it off to, um, JT. I'll ask him to take a listen and then, you know, he'll have a couple notes or maybe he'll think it sounds great. And then, you know, we bounce each other's mixes off of each other. So he'll send me something and go, Hey, can you check this out just to be sure? And yeah, we do that all the time. And I think that helps us make a better product. But yeah, generally, um, depending on the deadline, if it's something I need to get done right away, I'll do it. And like I said, I'll, I'll send it to JT to take a listen to or have someone. I'll even uh, put it on my phone. I'll listen to it on my phone instead of on my speakers. Because if I listen to it on a different uh, machine or different output set of speakers um, and it still sounds good, then I know I'm good. But uh, I'll ask my wife to take a listen to it. Just try to get as many ears in there as I can. That way I know that it's still good. Um, but if, if deadline aside, uh, I would just stop. I would just be like, let me get some fresh ears in the morning, um, take a listen to it again, and, and make sure we're good. I think you may have just answered my next question, which was going to be how much of your, um, your work is studio monitor and how much of it is headphones? I am almost exclusively monitors, mm-hmm. thankfully. Uh, but then I also try to, every now and then, I'll, I'll jump in and, and do work in headphones as well. Um, if I'm like, editing dialogue it's really good to do in headphones uh but what if i'm just creating sound effects um I'll, a lot of that i'll do on on monitors does that affect uh ear fatigue or one versus the other headphones are way more fatiguing that's what i was that was my yeah. guess yeah do you when you're quoting a job for a client or when you're giving them an estimate of how much time it's going to take to do it do you factor in those days where you work a short day and take a break because your ears are going to get fatigued. Do you figure that into the overall length of time it's going to take you to complete the job to give yourself and your ears that time to recover so you can continue moving forward once you're rested and you're hearing things more accurately? That's a great question. I wouldn't say I think of it about that consciously. Uh, I think over the years now I've kind of discovered how long it takes me to do stuff. Um, and so that sort of has melded into <laughs> my time estimate. Um, but I don't go like, Oh, I'm going to need to take, you know, this much time off. I just go this type of project with this much work will take about this many days or this many hours. Um, and then that just fits the bill there. Well, that's one of the things that those of us who work creatively like this is we try to avoid billing by time because the better you are and the faster you are and the better your equipment is, the less you get to bill 
because you're faster. Right. So bill, billing hourly, it's like you bill, you bill according to what it should be. And if you get it done faster because you're good and you've got 30 years worth of photography or audio under your belt, that's, that shouldn't penalize you. That kind of leads into now that you're a business owner, if you're struggling with ear fatigue or you need to step away from actually mixing something, now there's probably plenty of things you can be doing, bookkeeping and uh, updating your LinkedIn and your social media, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but there's all, all kinds of non-billable hour type stuff that you have the time to do now. So you can use those things to kind of break up your day so you don't get fatigue. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do that all the time. Um, you know, I'll be working on a project for a while and I go like, man, I don't, I don't know if this sounds good. And then I'll just jump like, oh, I got to do some billing. Like, it'd be cool. I can, I can send some invoices, <laughs> make some money. It'd be great. And you take a break and you work with a different part of your brain. Yeah. At the same time, you give your re- ears a rest. And um, we, we actually on the, on a recent episode talked with a, a woman who's a journalist about the importance of taking breaks to give, just to give your brain time to not see or hear what it is you've been working on so you can come back to it fresh. Then you really, at least in my case, I see things that I couldn't, that I did, that I wasn't seeing before. And I'm sure you come back and you listen and you're like, wait a minute, what's that buzz in the background? Or that sounds too high. I need to dial this down a little. Absolutely. Yeah. It becomes very, very important. I like that Chris brought up the additional business responsibilities that you assume when you become part owner in a business. I mean, it's a creative business, but it is a business. And um, the way you approach your job now um, is not, it, it just by definition can't be purely from the creative side because you have to balance that out against things like deadlines and client budgets and your other workload what would you say was the, what, what were some adjustments that you had to make when you became an owner in this? And, and how did those things perhaps, I'm, I, I don't want to imply something that isn't true, but I can imagine suddenly you have a new set of concerns that involve how a business runs. And that, I imagine, would have to impact how you approach the creative part of your job. Whereas before you could just be completely focused on the creative part. Yeah. So one thing that Nick always told us was that it doesn't matter what the budget is, make it awesome. Right. And, and we didn't, we never knew what the budget was anyways. He just said, Hey, we got a new job, work on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we would do it. So it really didn't matter. So we never had that question in our mind, like, Oh, how much are we actually getting paid for this? It might've been totally pro bono. Might have been doing something completely free and we put in, you know, two days work on something that we could have only done if we wanted to only two hours. And I, I'd like to think that I still hold on to that. I don't think there's been a time where I got something and whenever I negotiated the budget, it may have been disappointing the budget amount. I don't think I've ever been like, well, in that case, I'm just not going to make it sound as good as I want. Uh-huh. JT and I both have this minimum level of quality that something has to be because we just don't feel comfortable sending something that's not of that quality. Like maybe our name's going to be on it. Maybe they'll bring us work in the future um, that will be better and higher paid. But yeah, a lot of the stuff that came pouring in whenever we became owners, you know, a lot of it is figuring out budgets. Uh, I mean, accounting, you know, obviously all all of that. Uh, But the biggest shock to me was just figuring out how much is my work actually worth? 
you know, I tr- we tried to get a sense of that before we actually own the, own the business, but it, it's hard. You don't really know. Um, and because it is a creative business, a service business, you know, we're not like purchasing items uh, that need to be sent. And then a lot of the times, like you said, Chris, we don't really do things by the hour. We do it on the, on the project. And we know how much our work is worth for the project, um, but how much is that project worth to the client? I guess, you know, how much is our work worth to the client? And kind of figuring that out is, is the, definitely the, the hardest part. I just wrote down, what is my work worth? As that's a whole podcast episode. That's a whole podcast. We episode. need to, we need to plan that one. Cause I think that's really important. And you're, you're touching on some things here that are universal, but you realize how important it is to have a good flow of communication between you and your client that you fully understand what it is that they're asking of you and what they want and that they fully understand from you exactly what it's going to take to get what they want. And so, so many times something as simple as a poorly worded email or relying on a text message to convey an important piece of information in a business negotiation can completely sideline you know, your communications and cause a lot of misunderstanding. And so before, when you were just the dude with the microphone recording sounds and mixing it in your, with your software and creating something that sounded good, you didn't have to worry about that. Now you have all, you, you can't assume anything, right? You have to make sure you get it from the client and, and clarify exactly what it is that they want. Another difference between owning your own shop and and being an employee of the shop where you, where you started is that when you are an employee, you're not responsible for your own paycheck. And when, when you become the owner, if it, if you don't bill for it, it, it doesn't get made. You don't, right. you don't make the money. So there's a whole different level of responsibility as the business owner to make sure that, that billing happens. Cause if billing doesn't happen, you don't get paid. Whereas before you get a paycheck every couple of weeks and, didn't think twice about it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that totally completely changes the dynamic. Like I said before, I don't think it changes what I do sort of creatively, but it definitely changes, um, the hustle, (laughs) I guess, you know, uh, we briefly touched on social media as like now, um, which is (laughs) I'm, I'm caught between, I want to do less social media for my own health. (laughs) And then I want to do more social media for my business's health. Um, so, uh, definitely reaching out, and all of that is is a whole new um, level. Whereas before I was just making cool stuff and now it's like, hey, I need to let everyone know that I make cool stuff so I can make more cool stuff. Well, that's the thing I tell people all the time. Um, if you might be the best at something in the city or town or state. Or and world. If, and if no one knows it, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Right. You have to let people know that you're the shit. And it's, it's awkward to promote yourself. <laughs> it's a little less awkward to, to, to promote your business, but it's more awkward to promote yourself. But if you don't, it's your own fault. If you're, if you can be amazing and if no one knows it, you, you're irrelevant. Yeah. I just actually just this morning, I was reading an article kind of about this where, um, this other sound designer, uh, was talking about how composers and other creatives kind of wear a cloak of invisibility, um, all the time where it's like they, they just, they put so much time and, and effort into their craft and making cool stuff. Um, you know, you, you could have, he said, you know, you could compose the greatest song in the world, but if only your mom hears it, how are you going to turn that into something? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, that is, it's very important. It's an unfortunate reality, but it's true. I go through that a lot as a still photographer. If, if they don't know that I shoot video, if I don't make sure and tell them, it's my fault for not getting video jobs. Right? Yeah. It's, it's entirely rest upon me to let people know I'm more than a still photographer. Yeah. And I actually, um, to that point, recently uh, there was a client that I worked with. They thought all we did was audio restoration. Mm-hmm. And they had no idea that we did sound design stuff. And I don't know exactly how we um, made that happen, but they were like, oh, like, whoa. <laughs> right. And then they start sending us more stuff to make, to make cool sound design stuff. And they ended up doing something for Coca-Cola um, through that, you know, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Do your sound design clients know that you do? I mean, do you find that um, commercials and films don't necessarily know you do games? Like, are, are those two different worlds? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, totally so different. same deal. It's up to you to let your game people know you do features and yeah. commercials and vice versa. It's like wedding photographers might shoot commercially, but they don't, right. but they don't necessarily mix the two, but it's, it's up to you to let your clients know you do both things. Yeah. I thought of another example of how your understanding of the business aspects of your industry can impact your creative approach to your job and well, Chris and I were talking about this earlier. Give the example we talked about, how, you know, about about shooting one way versus another. I used to shoot a lot of um, publication work for a magazine. And back then, it was a space rate. The rate you got paid well, had to do with the amount, the square inches that it, it ran in the magazine. So it's a cover was one price. Um, an inset photo was another price. A, a double truck spread was a different price. And so it was in my best interest to shoot in such a way that those images could be used bigger. Mm. Right. So I would shoot a lot of horizontal imagery that had nothing going on where the magazine would fold because I knew that when they're designing the magazine, they would lay it out and they'd go, Oh, this is a nice double. This is a spread. And that's more money for me. (laughs) So um, I would give myself the best opportunity for more money just, and, just simply by turning the camera horizontal and not putting a person or a face down in the gutter. And that's a great example of how being aware of how the business runs can, can really impact a creative choice that you make. The, Chris deciding to not shoot a portrait vertically, like, like you would think it's in portrait orientation, but converting it to a horizontal image and using his knowledge of composition and where to lighten shadow and where to allow room for copy to run and, and where, where the, which way the person should be facing in the frame. Um, and that's all based on your understanding of how the business works. That's another thing actually is leaving room for the masthead. You shoot an amazing image and you leave room for the masthead, the name of the magazine. And all of a sudden, it's a, it's a contender for the cover, which pays twice as much as the interior stuff. Or you leave room for callouts, or you know, you can leave negative space, and all of that plays into how much you get paid. Because your work has to go in front of a graphic designer, and and that that's a that's another type of collaboration. That designer is not with you on on set or at the shoot. But your understanding of the process, what's going to happen to those digital image files as they work their way through the publication process, who's going to touch them, who's going to see them, who's going to be working with them, 
become informs, uh, you know, just creative decisions you make in producing those things. And I'm sure on your end, like you're trying to keep in mind the people that are going to get your files. So the way you deliver your work, the, the, well, I'm not as familiar with the way audio files are delivered, if they're broken out into different components or how it's all bundled up and packaged and sent to someone for the next person to use it. Yeah. So I guess I'm fortunate in that this, most of the stuff that I deliver is the, it's not the final final, it's the final audio. Right. Um, and so then it gets to the editor and then they just attach it to the video. Usually color and post audio will be happening at the same time. Um, so then they have the final image from the colorists and the final audio from me, and they just marry the two together and send it on. Assuming that whatever both parties send are legal. Like if I'm doing something for broadcast, it has to be the loudness wars, you know, it has to go within a certain, um, spec specification. Um, but no, that's great. You know, the, uh, the type of delivery does determine sometimes kind of what we can do. Um, a lot of that determines more the length of the piece. You know, if we're doing a TV commercial, it's only 30 seconds, um, maybe 60. Um, whereas if I'm working for something for web, let's use a radio spot as a better example. I'll do radio spots that go, I play on the radio. Um, but I'll also do ones that play on like, um, Pandora and Pandora doesn't really have a time limit. They don't sell like 30 second spots. Um, they just go, you have an advertisement and if it's like somewhere between 30 and 60 seconds. And so that gives me some freedom on where like now I can be a little more obtuse with my sound design if I want to make it a little more obvious that these things are happening and it doesn't have to be so rapid fire. Whereas a lot of the time when I'm working on a, on a radio spot, I have to squish the dialogue in real quick. You know, you hear those really fast mm. disclaimers and stuff. Um, I have to make those every now and then uh, just to make it fit in time. Um, but I definitely the longer time on the internet spots let me um, be a little more creative and add more stuff. Do you like working on um, larger kind of feature film type projects or more of the commercial radio spot type projects? And, or is there a mix that you like? So we definitely um, love working on films and video games. And that's sort of like uh, what we love to do, right? The really creative stuff, the, the big feature pieces. Um, but then, you know, I, it's, you know, commercials are bread and butter for sure. <laughs> um, and uh, they are fun to work on because what's cool is that every single one we get is a little different. So it is still kind of creative, even if it is a similar process that we, that we approach it. Um, you know, I would say that I would, I would prefer to work on, you know, larger, more creative pieces just because it's, it's more creative. It's a little more fun um, as opposed to uh, the shorter ones, but it is nice to have a smattering of both. You know, if I was just constantly working on films, all year, every year, um, I would probably want a few uh, easy, <laughs> shorter, smaller projects to work on. Well, so let's say someone's bringing you a feature film. Mm-hmm. Let's say someone like me or Mark is, gonna, <laughs> is bringing you a feature film. A horror film? A horror film. Just <laughs> hypothetically. Just hypothetically. Yeah. Um, so let's kind of go through the, the kind of procedure of how it works to drop off work with you. Ideally, we lock the picture, meaning we there were there'll be there will be no more edits that would lengthen or shorten the piece right so okay. it is it is complete any changes that we might make beyond this shouldn't affect the overall runtime and ideally no changes at all 
Ideally, yes. So then we deliver to you a small video file, just a, a, a small, it doesn't need to be big, just so you can have a visual reference. And then we export all of the audio tracks in such a way that you can have them individually. Right. So can you kind of expand on that? Because that was kind of the naive version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I actually really like to get involved on uh, even the, probably not so much pre-pro, although I've done that before on the pre-production side. Um, I like to get a little bit involved on the production side um, where I at least kind of know um, what the locations are like uh, and sort of, so I know what environments I'm going to be working with, um, in which case I can start actually gathering things. You know, we had mentioned before where I might bring, uh, I have a surround or it's an ambisonic microphone mm -hmm. um, where I can go and actually record the space and get a nice um, sort of 3D audio representation of the actual location. But if, I'm, if I don't actually go on set, I'll just find similar places or at least if there's a written description of any place, then I'll go and collect some stuff. And obviously I can collect stuff that's in my library as well because I already have a vast library of, of sound or I might even purchase some online because sometimes it's impossible to, you know, I'm not going to, I have some, I'm lucky and where I've recorded some stuff in Iceland, I probably wouldn't, unless the budget's there, I wouldn't fly back to Iceland to record some more <laughs> for right. a specific scene. So that's how I would start just kind of understanding a little bit about what's um, going on if I'm involved in production. But then whenever all that is done, that way I just sort of get a understanding of what's going to happen and I can save some time by gathering that stuff right away. And so I'll, I'll have a smaller pile, a smaller bucket of things to grab from instead of my entire library. Um, to make things quicker in post. Then whenever post starts to happen, I'd like to, you know, usually I'd be in contact with composer. The composer also would want to receive a final edit. But even if, if the entire film isn't locked, if it could be broken up into reels, let's say that the first, you know, third of the film is, is really happy. Everyone's really happy with the edit and, and it's locked, you know, then we'll just take that first third of the film and start uh, and start working. And then we might not receive the second one, you know, a month later or however, uh, the second reel and then the third reel. Uh, it, it just depends on the, on the post. But the way that we would receive it, the way we prefer to receive it is an AAF or an OMF, um, which is a specific file type that has all of the dialogue or all of the audio that the editor has added um, separate and uh, on separate tracks so that we have access to all of the audio that was recorded. Um, you know, there have been times I've received something where it's been like merged or something and I only get two of the microphones when there were four on set. And, you know, maybe, maybe the editor decided that, oh, these are the only two that matter. And maybe they are, I don't know. You know, <laughs> then I have that question in my head, well, maybe this other microphone actually sounded better for this specific word that has a, uh, you know, you can hear cloth noise in the lavalier or something. And so having all of the available recorded audio broken out and in time with the, with the picture um, is what we need. And then, uh, you know, picture lock is great, but we understand that, um, edits happen. <laughs> so you're talking about like, if there's four people talking, each have their own lav mic, there's one or two boom mics in place, and then maybe a camera mic or two, or, so you want all of that separate. All of it. So you can manipulate and adjust levels between them. Yes. To make it as good as you can make it. Yeah. And then, you know, I would make, I will end up making the decision of which microphone to select at that point mm -hmm. um, because that, that just gives me more control of making a, a better sounding product at the end. And then sometimes in rare occasions, we can actually use more than one microphone um, at the same time. You'll have to do a lot of like phase alignment stuff and that's, gets real technical, but um, to make it sound even better. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and then if, if we're only given 
you know, say the four lobs, then we don't have the option of, of using the boom, for example, to make it sound like they're more in the space. It sounds to me, I have to say, it sounds mostly technical. It's very technical. <laughs> I, I know it's very technical, but it sounds mostly, in fact, almost exclusively technical. And I'm sitting here, I'm listening to you talk about this, and I'm thinking to myself, where in this process do you get to have creative license? Where in this process does your creativity show up in a way that would distinguish the work that you would do on this feature mm. film versus another uh, audio designer, sound designer, engineer, who we've given the exact same files to, and who's looking at the exact same picture lock, the exact same running time, and everything else. Where do you feel like you can be creative and maybe what is the range of what you could do with that? Yeah, so the two major points that I think of there, it, one is the mix. So actually how loud certain elements are weighted versus other ones. And two is um, the sound design and the sound effect choice. And so, you know, there will be a scene, say it's outside in the woods and it's in the woods of Tennessee. And maybe at this point, I would choose it to be a very quiet, serene sounding woods. Um, or maybe maybe the scene is a little more um, lovey-dovey. I don't know. So then you have more birds. You have more tweeting. So you can actually kind of affect the emotion there by choosing which ambience to use. And that's sort of where the creativity comes in. And then, he, and then whenever it gets into more crazy stuff, like uh, if there's a monster or if there's um, like Transformers, anything like that, you know, that's where it gets really creative and where, you know, I'll look at it on screen and I go like, well, what elements would I use to create that? What are my, what are the colors of my palette? Right. So that this, you know, you, you kind of have like an easel and the different colors are my sounds. And what sounds would I use to build that? And then I use, technically, I would use the tools to manipulate them to make the final sound. Um, but, you know, that's that's also part of the creative process of actually using those tools to make the crazy sounds. I don't know how you don't get overwhelmed because I know your library has got to be deep. Like, how do you, you know, of the, of the thousand different body falls that you have, <laughs> how do you choose the one that you want? How do you know which is the right one? Do you? That just sounds overwhelming to me. <laughs> I imagine that it's, um, you just, I don't know. I mean, maybe what's a good effect. I'm sitting here talking like I know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> but maybe what constitutes a good effect is something that can be manipulated a lot to sound different. So it's, it is, its nature is that it can be pushed to sound this way or it can be pushed to sound this way. And you know your skill with the software and you know that you can do that quickly and efficiently, so that becomes a go-to effect that you use a lot. It never sounds the same once you're done with it because it is so malleable and it is so easy to work with. I don't know. Is that a thing? <laughs> uh, that's a good point, actually. Um, so, you know, some sounds do end up getting reused quite often, um, but uh, that's because they're recorded well in the first place, um, you know, I'm trying to think if it's recorded really well where it's close i don't hear the room that it's recorded in then that lets me create the room for it, it lets me add effects to make it sound more like it's in that space and then sometimes if i'm getting you know creating something really creative i'll just 
I don't know. Let's pick a random sound. I'll just yell into the microphone and then I'll manipulate my voice in a weird way. And maybe oh, that'll be cool. You'll take that cow moo. Exactly. And turn it into something completely different. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then a lot of the times if it's something like, uh, for some reason, a body fall, because he said it, um, sort of came to mind. Um, I would, I would probably fully that I'd probably just record it. Um, you know, I do have a bunch of them in my library and then I save some of them that I really like that I've recorded myself. Um, but to get it to like really fit, maybe I'll use a stock one that's like really nice and punchy and then I'll go and get more detailed with it by adding my own Foley on top of it um, to really let it fit. Is your decision based purely on uh, what you think the sound should be and then listening to your sound library and saying, I have an effect here, I have a body fall, for instance. I have a body fall here that's close, but it's not exactly what I want. So I'm going to I'm gonna go create my own. Yeah, a lot of it has to do, unfortunately, has to do with deadline. <laughs> yeah. um, so if I'm working on something that needs to be done same day or needs to be done next day, I'll probably just, uh, you know, I'll go into my library, I'll put it in there. It doesn't really fit, I'll edit it. I'll, I'll edit the time, edit it to fit. I mean, that happens a lot anyway. Um, and then, but then if I'm doing something a little more creative um, and I've got more time to do it, then I'll start jumping into Foley. And uh, so like if I'm working on a feature film, I'm doing a lot of Foley. Which is? Uh, so Foley is the um, practice of acting behind a microphone. So I'm actually watching stuff on screen and I'm recreating things that are happening on screen sonically in front of a microphone. Because the microphones that they have on set are pointed at people's mouths and they're only there to record dialogue. There might be like a scene where they're not recording dialogue and you have them record their feet. That's great. <laughs> I love using that. You know, the, all the onset stuff is the best. Um, but uh, yeah, so Foley is just the act of actually acting behind a microphone. So an example might be if a character is in an office and they, they uh, knock a cup of coffee off of their desk, the microphone is positioned to record their reaction to that event but the actual sound of that event coffee cup being knocked off the desk and hitting the floor is something that you would go in and record that sound in a studio separately to make sure that the the full audio is there yeah exactly uh because the sound of that coffee cup falling you know the microphone wasn't pointed at the coffee cup and so it sounds it's called off axis and it just really sounds really weak um, and you know, and you want it to have impact and that's the, that's what audio does. It adds impact to picture. And so I'll go and, and recreate that scenario. I probably wouldn't actually spill coffee on the floor. <laughs> I might put, you know, maybe I'll spill some water <laughs> or maybe I won't have any water and I'll just kind of make the cup sound. Um, or maybe it's two effects. Maybe it's the cup and then it's water yeah, and exactly. you combine them. Yep. Absolutely. Mm. And then, then you have questions like, What's the floor of the office? Is it a hardwood floor? Is it a hardwood floor with a rug? Or is it carpet? You know, and that informs how you create that effect. Yeah, absolutely. I taught a class at NOSI years ago on Foley. And it, or it, was, an, it was an audio class, and, but we spent some time on Foley. And it was a lot of fun. I, I told them about midway through the semester to bring in a, a, several items that they could break. And so we just set up in the studio and just broke shit all day long. <laughs> We'd smash it and, and crunch it and, you know, watermelons and just yeah. make all these terrible noises. And it was just, it, they, they loved it. It was a lot of fun breaking things and making gross sounds. And yeah. 
and then taking those sounds and trying to build it into something else and, you know, manip- manipulate them into something else. Was, yeah. I, I loved it. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. I, I recently um, had some raw steak and chicken mm. and I used that to make some nice, some nice gore sounds that I had to my library that I'm, I'm really proud of. They sound pretty good. <laughs> Excellent. Can you give us an example or two of an effect that you've created, let's say a body fall or something else and what you would use to actually record and create that effect so that it sounds that way? Oh, right. Yeah. So, um, interestingly, a really good way to get some cool body fall sounds is taking like a coat or something, something, um, thick, sort of, uh, thick cloth, maybe a towel and, uh, sort of punching it on the ground and in, in sort of a, a non-rhythmic pattern. Um, so you just kind of randomly kind of punch it on the ground. Um, you could add, uh, punching a, a bag of rice, um, just kind of adding extra little impacts and layer those together. Um, to get a nice impacty sound. Uh, but yeah, which would be way different than actually falling on the ground. If I recorded myself falling on the ground several times, I'd probably get injured. Um, but also it's just not as interesting because whenever you actually fall on the ground, uh, you might be stopping yourself. Right. And it's really slow. And we're trying to record someone sounding like they just got punched in the head and they fell. Right. So they have no way of stopping themselves. It needs to sound way more impactful. So you just need to recreate that impact by finding some, random heavy things around your house and dropping it. <laughs> Interesting. And fun, I imagine. Yeah, it can be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Russell, we can't thank you enough for, for coming to the studio today and helping us understand more about both the technical and creative sides of what you do. Well, thanks for having me. It's been great. Just tell us briefly where we can find you online for people that want to know more about your you and what you do. All that social media that you love participating oh, in. Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you can find us at npalaudio.com. That's N-P-A-L-L audio.com. Um, I do have my own little game development thing called RDM Games. Um, it's just rdmgames.com. Um, and uh, I've made a couple little mobile games you can check out if you want. And then uh, also... Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, just NPAL, N-P-A-L-L. If not NPAL, it's NPAL Audio. Before we let you go, we wanted to uh, ask you one more question, and Chris and I always answer this question too, and this is one thing that you're looking forward to. Well, I mean, I'm really looking forward to, (laughs) I'm really looking forward to who my son turns into be, turns out to be. Oh, Um, you might not know that for a minute. Yeah, I know that's going to be, that's going to be long, but that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind, you know, cause he's very much hands-on on mind right now. <laughs> yeah. That's, he's five months old, right? You told us earlier. Yeah. 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 You'll be pondering that for another 30 or 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> so will he. So wondering about myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can tell you that around, around 16, 17, 18 is when you kind of go, okay, that's who he is. And that's been my experience with my two boys is that when they turn around 17, 18, like, all right, I did, I did okay. (laughs) What about you, Chris? I'm looking forward to taking an actual vacation. A lot of times when I work, I kind of combine vacation with work and I'm looking forward to taking a straight up vacation. I want to go to the beach, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just want to do something different and, and get out of town for a minute. Real complete and total downtime. Yeah. Which I'm not particularly good at, but I'll try. Mm. How about you? Well, 
uh, my wife and I were discussing some projects that we've got going around the house, which four weeks ago uh, I was completely bothered by because of what was immediately in front of me on my schedule. But I realized this morning when we were talking about it, I'm actually really looking forward to getting a couple of rooms in the house painted um, and wrapping that up because we've been envisioning what it's going to look like for so long. And we, and we now know that it's going to look really good after all of our testing. It's like, now it's just time to sit down and, and do the work, which in a way is the easy part. And just then just kind of reap the benefits after that. So I am looking forward to getting, uh, to getting that painting done and enjoying the fruits of our labor there. We want to thank all of you who have found this show and are listening to the podcast. We'd love to hear more from you. So if you have any questions or comments for Mark or me, please send us an email at creativity at penumbra-ent.com. If you like this conversation with uh, Russell Marringer, please consider subscribing to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Online, you can find us at penumbra-ent.com which is also where you can find the show notes for this or any other episode on Facebook and Instagram. We are Penumbra Films. Creativity in Motion is produced by the hardworking team at Penumbra Entertainment. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Creativity in Motion podcast. Until then, remember, getting in touch with the technical side of what you're doing is often a great way to unleash your creativity.